He is risen. Hallelujah. Where we last left Jesus, he was in a synagogue running into a demon. And then he went out, continuing to proclaim, to profess that the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the long-appointed salvation of God for all mankind, cherished by the Hebrew people, had now come to pass in himself. And as he's doing this, all manner of people with every kind of affliction from fevers to possessions are being healed by him. That's where we left off. We also then did hear the first of three questions that get put to Jesus after this event with the casting out of the demon. And I want to kind of uh, bird's eye view, look at those this morning as we then dive bomb into the confrontation over the Sabbath at the synagogue in Mark chapter 3 that you heard read a moment ago. But if you'd like to turn in your pew Bible to page 837, uh, we're not going to read anything on this page, but I want to see if you can kind of remember again where we were. Uh, last week, we also did see Jesus cleanse a leper. You see that there in chapter 1, verse 40. And we learned about how this leprosy, this uncleanness, was similar to the idea of demonic possession and that the demon is an unclean spirit. Leprosy is an unclean physical condition. And that both of these things together demonstrate mankind's subjection to the devil and to our sin. And so when later a paralytic is brought to Jesus to heal, or he heals the leper, but they bring him a paralytic, rather than say, I heal you, he says, I forgive you. And that's where they start to question Jesus. So uh, you can maybe see there in chapter 2, verse 6, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That questioning of Jesus now leads to three more rapid-fire question stories that bring us back to that synagogue event that we heard read a moment ago. The first of these is in chapter 2, verse 16. Again, this was last week, where uh, we saw that after Jesus calls uh, Matthew, the tax collector, he goes to eat at his house. And there's other tax collectors and sinners, that's people who aren't, well, clean in society. Uh, they're eating there. And in verse 16, uh, the scribes of the Pharisees, uh, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's your first question, right? First of three. And the questions are going to be about, then, eating that's the first one. The ones that now come out today are fasting. So we go from eating to fasting. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that at this service. Next service, again, fasting. Um, and then Sabbath. So these three questions to Jesus. Why are you this way about what you eat? Why are you this way about not, not eating enough, not fasting, right? Why are you this way about the way that you keep the Sabbath? His answers to all of that then set up our story where it, it confronts, right? And the question is, well, does he have the power to prove that he is who he said he is? Right? If he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, what does that mean? 
and, and that's where I want us to get here. But again, let me just give you then these three questions and their three answers. So I think it's really worth pondering these. So the first question the Pharisees ask him is in a sense, you know, who do you think you are, right? Why are you eating with these people? You're not supposed to. A good Jew wouldn't do that. Who do you think you are? And his answer is, I'm a doctor. I want you to, again, keep that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but keep that in your pocket this morning. Who does Jesus think he is? A doctor for you? That's pretty cool. Like with everything else going around, casting out demons and all this, what's he here to do? To be a doctor for the sinner. That's what he's here for. Um, A second question, why don't you fast? Why don't your disciples fast? Because John's disciples fast, right? All Jews fast. In fact, if you're, if you're not fasting as a Jew regularly in Jesus' day, then the rabbis, the Pharisees, are going to tell you you're not really a believer. It's that essential to their life. Why don't you fast, Jesus? Why don't you fast that same way? And his answer is, it's crazy how he says this. Effectively, I'm the answer. The reason you're fasting is so God will answer your prayers, and, and I'm the answer. So since I'm the answer to all of your fasting, why would my disciples fast? That, that's his answer, right? I mean, everyone's like, what is this guy talking about? Like they, they don't get him at all. And then they ask this question about the Sabbath, which is going to be pretty important for us this morning. So we are going to read through this text. Next page, 838, right? One Sabbath, verse 23, Jesus was going through the grain fields and they made their way, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? There's your third question, right? Or fourth one, depending on how you count it. Uh, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Is there a law in the Old Testament against plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath? Uh, My understanding is, is no, but there is a rabbinic law against this. So what the rabbis did over the course of centuries is they took a law that had some questioning, well, what about this and what about that? And they made rules about what about this and what about that? And then later there were questions about the rules. And so they made rules about the rules. And then later they made rules about the rules about the rules about the rules to make sure that you never broke the rules, right? And over time, there's a lot of things that they say, God says, which if you look at the text in the Old Testament, God doesn't actually say it. And this is where Jesus is going to come into conflict with them since he is what God says. And if you come to him and say, God says this, and he's like, no, no, not really. And you're like, yes, he does. Well, you and Jesus are going to have a problem, right? And and again, that's what's being set up here. Uh, Why is he doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? But he doesn't tell them they don't know what they're talking about with regard to Sabbath law. He points to David. He kind of end arounds again. His answer is not straight at their question. He tells them what they need to hear. He said, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. That's his question. Haven't you read that? (laughs) In theory, that answers all of the problems, although it doesn't. It opens a host of questions for us. And the first and foremost is, do you remember that story? Right. And and I don't think we're going to go all the way into those details this morning. uh, But this is before David is crowned king. He is trying to get away from Saul. Saul's going to 
murder him. Jonathan and he have made a pact with each other that, that they're going to try to keep David safe. Uh, but as he flees, he has nothing. He doesn't even have a sword. And, and so he ends up uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the priests are. And he asks for food, and they don't have any food to give, except for this leftover food that's been used for the holy worship that is basically rule set that only the priests can eat this. And he says, well, can I have it anyway, in, in a sense? And if you look at the text, the priest says, yes, but only if you meet these conditions. So there seems to be a rule set that the priest does use. So, so David is going against the law, and yet under the priesthood's leadership, which, again, this opens all sorts of questions, for me at least. So what does it mean then uh, that the priest says, do this thing, but Moses said, do a different thing? Anyway, we, we won't chase that rabbit. That's a rabbit in my head. The point here then is he does get this bread. He's given this bread. He's given the sword of Goliath, and off he goes on his adventures trying to stay alive and one, one step ahead of King Saul. Uh, and Jesus says, don't you remember that? So, of course, you know, my, my, my disciples are going to pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath, right? There's not an easy one-to-one -one connect to this answer. But, but what he says next kind of shoves it all home, okay? So his point in referencing David is David is the anointed king of God, and so he can't die. It needs to stay alive, needs to sit on the throne, needs to bring God's word to the people. And so for that reason, what the priests do in giving him the bread is fulfilling God's word. In this way, Jesus is a greater David. He's here, and whatever the word of God said before that you thought it meant, if he says, no, it actually means this, then you were just wrong before. You just misunderstood it. And it's okay, like, repent, right? right? The whole idea of repent is change your mind. Yeah? And so what's, what are they wrong about here? Uh, he says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. That's what they don't get. The Sabbath is a gift long before it's a commandment. We're so sinful, God must command us to receive his gifts. How funny are we? Little scurrying ants running about, building our towers. Yeah? And he has to say, can you sit down and enjoy it for a second? And maybe remember that I'm the source of the joy and it'll increase your joy tenfold. That, that's the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We're not made by God so that we'll sit down and not work as much once a week. We're not made by God so that we'll just sit there and stare at God. We're made by God to receive God's good. And if that involves staring at God in his glory and singing praises to his name, lifting high the cross, so be it. But the point, again, is this is no like harness that he's shoving us into that we have to try to do. It's more like he's watering the plant and watching it bloom, right? And so the Son of Man, verse 28, Jesus himself, he's talking about himself there. Talk a lot about Son of Man, but the Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath, which is to say, I can't break the Sabbath. Jesus says this. I, I can't. It's impossible for me to do it. I made it. I made it for me as a man. And they're doing something that's fine. They're not denying my sovereignty and preparation to give them food. The real issue with breaking the Sabbath is this. Okay? Welcome to it, Americans. You know what, Pastor? I got to be out of church because there's more to do today. That's breaking the Sabbath. 
right there. Not, I'm starving, oh, grain, I'm going to eat it right there. As I walk following Jesus, as he teaches the crowds and heals hundreds and casts out demons, right? That's not breaking the Sabbath. But what's set up here now, okay? What you see is this idea that over time, the teaching of the elders of Judah has replaced what God's word actually is with a shadowy and very legalistic version of that. And it comes out in things like their teaching on fasting and and Sabbath worship. But remember what we saw in, in Exodus as well. There's good reason for wanting to keep this law. The punishment when there was an Ark of the Covenant around was death, right? So you can kind of see where the Pharisees are getting it. But then, so what's Jesus' real problem with them? And that's what's going to come out in the synagogue story where his question, his question unveils, what does God actually want? Does he want a bunch of robots with a list of bullet points? They can check it off and say, thank you, Jesus, and walk away. Or does he want people who love goodness and just want it? And so far beyond like, well, it's checked off. I'm done with my goodness for the day. I did my good deed today. You just, you just want to be good like all the time. Why not? Why on earth would you be glad to check being good off? Right? And so also then even something like Sabbath, which for us Christians means, I said it earlier, that the word of God is living and active in you today. That's what the Sabbath rest really is, that the Holy Spirit has entered you, that you might be alive by his word about Jesus today, right? Holding on to that is so much more valuable than, well, are we, do we have to as Christians worship on Saturday? Because there's whole church bodies out there that tell you that if you don't, you're not a Christian. They're out there. In fact, I would even gander, they're bigger than the LCMS. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a very wealthy organization, if not population-wise, bigger than we are. And for them, you know, it's Saturday or bust. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses, right? You're probably familiar with them. Saturday or bust, got to do it. Old Testament says so, right? Along comes Jesus again, and he says, what's the Sabbath about? I am Lord of the Sabbath. And to jump ahead, this is a, a little bit of a tangent, but the, the final answer for the Christians is this, right? That the Sabbath, Seventh-day rest on which God rested is the day that Jesus lies in the tomb. The day of rest is the day that Jesus is dead, dead, dead. So that everything that God created in that first week that he rested from, now it comes to complete fulfillment as a curse in Jesus. And then on the next day, this third day, right? Or eighth day, or it would be the first day of the week as the way the gospels talk about it. Later, they call it the Lord's day, right? Jesus comes forth from the tomb doing something new, new wineskins, right? A new creation here. And in this way, Christians Sabbath, wherever Jesus' word is, and since Sunday, the Lord's day, this day, today is the day he rose from the dead. He is risen. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're keeping the Sabbath. We are. We're hearing Jesus' word. Now, what about what that means to surround yourself with Jesus' word? Do you surround yourself with Jesus' word for yourself or for the good of all? And that's, again, where our story is going to take us a little bit here in chapter 3, verse 1, where Jesus entered the synagogue 
and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, I do want to take a second and just talk about the withered hand. I mean, I want you to imagine, if you can see my hand here, you know, maybe I'm missing two fingers, maybe three. It's all kind of crumpled and deformed, right? Incomplete. Uh, something like that. Probably a birth defect, right? I mean, I guess it could have been mangled in a horrible accident, but probably in a birth defect. Now, I once, um, I once found a website or was pointed to a website. I mean, I, I do this online stuff, so I get people send me stuff all the time. And, and this website was something like you know, Jesus Hates Paraplegics or something like that, dot com. Yeah. And the whole point of it was that we know Jesus isn't really risen from the dead because there are people who were Christians who have withered hands who have prayed for healing and not received it. And the site even purported that he would give money to any faith healer who could heal somebody with a, a withered hand. Because you know, when the faith healer casts out the demon on stage in front of the crowd, I mean, you can, you can fake that, right? Guess what you can't fake? Healing a withered hand. I mean, it's the kind of miracle that's, that's just... We use the word miracle to mean I went to the doctor and they gave me drugs and I got better. It's a miracle. We mean that, right? We've demeaned the word. A miracle means like there's no explanation for this. That's a miracle. And this guy with his withered hand, again, the, the level of, of corruption, not in terms of his soul, but in terms of what sin has done to him. Can you even imagine a life like that? No, Someone out there online probably has one. Man with a withered hand. They, notice, oh man, there's so much in each verse. And they watched Jesus. You already know who they are, I hope, right? The Pharisees, the scribes, his enemies. They've mentioned the Herodians as well. It's a different faction, but they're, they're there. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. That they might accuse him. Right? Not, not, they watched Jesus to see, man, can this guy actually heal that? Because that might mean he's the Messiah then, right? That's not what they're doing. They're watching like, wow, if he does this incredible miracle today, then he's the devil. Huh? Quite a thing, what they're doing here. Watching, seeing, so they might accuse. It's going to get worse. Remember the violence though. Mark's about violence and conflict. They hate Jesus already. Chapter three, they hate him. Verse three, he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, right? And, uh, you got to love this about Jesus, especially in Mark. Like he knows there's this crowd of people in the room over here who hate him. They're seething with hatred. And what does he do? He doesn't do conflict avoidance like a nice American would, right? Instead, he goes straight to them with the entire problem and starts a conversation. The guy is something else, really, right? Uh, and what a model man, huh? What a model man. Uh, he goes right to them and has the conversation. Come here. He says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? The problem with legalistic religion, any of it, Hinduism, Islam, hardcore Roman Catholicism, any of it. The problem with it is it's about you. And since it's about you, you start to care less about others. You just want what's going to help you. 
The more you try to be good for you, the more you're going to end up hurting others so that you can be good. Think of uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Just think of, again, the man beside the road and the Levite passes by and doesn't help. Why? Because he's got rules about what he's supposed to do today at work and he's got to follow those rules. He's trying to be righteous and do all the right stuff and it leads to what? Neglect of his neighbor. Looking at religion as a list of bullet point things that I must achieve will lead you to hurting other people in the name of you being better. And Jesus is asking, is that what I'm here for? Is that what God's about? Is that what Sabbath means? And now here, this is probably worth just a moment. Okay, so the word Sabbath is Hebrew. You know, you know some Hebrew. Hallelujah. Amen. That's Hebrew. You got it, right? Uh, Hosanna, that one too. Uh, Sabbath, not Sabaoth. Easy to confuse that, Lutherans. Sabaoth means like armies, but Sabbath, it's really pronounced Shabbat or Shabbat. Um, Sabbath is just the word to stop doing it. To cease. It's not really the word rest. <laughs> it's the word not work. If you can see the difference. It's a, it's a small difference, but I kind of like it. Right? So the whole point of having a Sabbath is that you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. You, you, just, you just rest. And, and this rest, this ceasing, is in the knowledge that even if I keep going, I really can't achieve anything more unless God blesses it. I can build and build and build and build and build and build every hour of every day my entire life long. And at the end, it's not enough because God didn't bless it in my eyes. I didn't see it the way he wanted to see it. And so I made it an idol and so I was disappointed. Or I can give all I've got every day like I should, but also every day. Remember that the measure is from Christ. Right, the, the die is cast into the lap, the Proverbs say, but the lot, the numbers that come up, they're from Jesus, it says. Which is, it's not encouraging you to gamble, it's encouraging you to trust that he's got it well in hand. And he's got it well in hand. So when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to your rest as a Christian, every day in the knowledge that you belong to Jesus, is the point for you to do good or for you to do evil? And that's an easy answer now, right? The answer is do good on the Sabbath, do good. And so that's what happens next. Um, they're silent, quite a note there, by the way. They're too cowardly to say anything. Verse five, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Remember how I talked about Mark's gonna have a more human Jesus, right? It's, it's bits like this that just don't show up elsewhere. That, that not only does he say, tell me, is it wrong to do good today? But then when they won't even answer, he's, he's angry. He looks at them all like, I can't believe you people, right? He, he, he holds that inside. And at the same time as his anger is there, notice how he's got a grief that's pity. He doesn't just hate them, I want to destroy them. He's angry that they won't be free. He's bothered that they won't believe. It hurts him to see what they're doing to themselves. Yeah, what a thing. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Boof, what a thing that must have been to watch. You can't even industrial light and magic that at all. 
in my mind. He stretched out his hand. It was restored. The Pharisees. Now, I mean, notice, Mark doesn't give you any time to think about it. <laughs> his hand was restored. Like, stop and think about it. But the next word, immediately, the Pharisees were back on the enemy. Verse 6. They went out and straightway, immediately, held counsel with the Herodians, who they don't like, by the way, against Jesus. And not just kind of like, what should we do? Notice, how to destroy him. They're not wasting any time with this guy. They can see he's causing too many problems. He's challenging the status quo of what they believe the word of God is. And he's demonstrating the right to do it with power and authority. So if he is not God's son, like he says, they're right. He's possessed by some kind of crazy arch demon. And this is a, this is a valuable point. I believe C.S. Lewis makes this point in his Mere Christianity, a wonderful little book. Uh, that, that if Jesus is not God, just based on what the Bible says about him as written by the witnesses, right? You read his words. This guy said this stuff. This guy did this stuff. If he's not God, then he is the devil. Because no one else can do this. It's just too much, right? And so they've got to get rid of him. They want to stop the devil and his inspired evil from destroying their, their little country. Go out and plot to destroy him with, again, the Herodians. That's the Edomians. They're not even Jews. Uh, uh, so, story goes on now, right? But, but the Sabbath controversy is, has come to a head. Jesus is in charge of all of this, and he's here to give people rest from corruption and uncleanness. He's here to cast out demons. We're going to see that happen next again. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed now, this list of places that the great crowd is from is really something. You know, from Galilee, well, that's right by the sea. Judea, though, that's all the way south, right? Jerusalem, that's the capital city, of course. But Idumea, that's another region kind of uh, southeast of the sea. That's where the Herodian family would come from. But then also beyond the Jordan. So on the other side of the river, places where there really isn't Judaism necessarily anymore, an area maybe also called the Decapolis, the 10 cities uh, that you hear about sometimes, but then also all the way to the west, Tyre and Sidon at the coast. So what you have is the entire region being called out or coming out to hear Jesus talk, to watch what he is doing. And again, these are not Jews. There's lots and lots of not Jews here uh, coming from this region. Uh, when the great crowd heard all that was doing, they came to him. And now there's a setup. You probably remember the story of Jesus teaching from the boat. Yeah? That's going to come in a little bit. But now he's getting the boat ready. Uh, verse 9, he tells the disciples, have the boat ready. And Mark tells us it's because the crowd was so big they were going to crush him. So I don't know if you've ever seen somebody like crowd surf at like a concert, you know what that is? Or if you've been in a really, really just kind of bustly place where you're, you're with someone else and there's so many people around, you might lose each other, right? You ever been in a place like that? Like that's kind of what's going on here. Right? And so he's just trying to like create some space. Meanwhile, this is unique to Mark here in verse 10. Uh, he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. There's one story in the other Gospels about this woman who touches the hem of his cloak and it stops the blood flow. Remember that? Yeah, um, it, that stands apart. Here, though, it's saying it was all over the place. Like people aren't even talking to him. They're just trying to get by and touch and poof, they're healed. Uh, 
right? It's quite the stir is really what we should see taking place here. And in the midst of that, people coming forward to be healed. Verse 11, whenever the unclean spirits, there they are, they saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Uh, they are the only ones who seem to get it. And it's not good news for them, of course. And Mark records it, though, for us. Huh? So that we could see who this Jesus is. And remember that as Lord of the Sabbath, he has completed his victory lap of resurrection already. Ascended to the right hand of God and holds all things in his hands. So whereas, verse 12 will tell us, he ordered the demons not to make him known because he doesn't want demons to talk ever he is going to be known more and more so, not only before his death, but now, today, where this single man's death and resurrection has radically transformed all of the history of civilization. You can be the most rank atheist in the world, and you're a liar if you, have, if you say anyone other than Jesus is the most important person in history. You're a liar. You aren't reading history. You don't see what happened. You don't understand how many changes there were. No single man has left a mark like Jesus did. And that since you're a Christian, you're like, duh, of course, he's the son of God. Yeah. All right. So from here into next week, we're going to move into the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus is going to teach us about what this professed gospel of his resurrection does. And again, give us some warnings about the way the world tries to deceive. For today, I want you to embrace the fact that Jesus is your Sabbath rest, that the Lord's Supper that we are about to receive is the blessing of a meal that is not just a foretaste of eternity, but eternity come to you now, so that no longer does God expect for you to fulfill a list of requirements in order to be pleasing in his sight but rather that he has declared you to be his very own son, worthy of all inheritance, and has said to you, so go out into the world, be free, and do good. In the name of Jesus, amen.